morning. Air feels like it's working a little better now. I come in this morning, the air wasn't working. I was getting a little concerned. I was going to start sweating up here while I was preaching. Hope you got your Bibles with you. There's some at the back on the table. Uh, sermon notes as well back there, back in front, if you need that. Second uh, Peter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 10 this morning. If you're visiting with us, what we do is we pick books of the Bible and sections of Scripture and we study every verse of it. And so this morning, this is where we are. And uh, so what we're going to do, if, if you want to, it's going to it's probably help you like we did last week. If you want to find the book of Jude and mark it, we're going to be flipping back and forth between Second Peter and Jude because those books are, are speaking to the same issue and even potentially the same people. And so Second Peter 2... What we're going to do is we're going to go back last week. We're going to, I'm going to read verses 1 to 10 just so we get the context of the Scripture in our minds. So stand with me as we read 2 Peter 3. We're going to begin at verse 1. This is God's Word. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with their false words. Now this morning's teaching begins. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction making them an example of what he is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment, until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Lord, this is your word. Lord, now, help us understand it. For we must first read it. We must submit to it. Lord, help us to gain courage and comfort And hope from a very clear, hard, true, amazing passage that speaks to your very character. Help us all in the room, Lord. Give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So remember where we are. Peter is writing a letter to a mostly Gentile believing church. Have a lot of Greek in their background. And, and what we need to 
understanding the context of what, what, why he's being so direct here, and he's only going to get more direct. It's because his, God's people are tired. They're frustrated. They're constantly being bombarded by these false teachers. Remember, they're undermining the Old Testament Scriptures. They're belittling the apostles. What are they teaching? Remember, they're teaching there's no return of Christ. Therefore, there's no coming judgment. And so we can just live how we please. Let's just keep sinning so that grace might abound. Remember, we said what makes a heretic a heretic is that if you deny the person or the work of Christ, it's what they were doing. We boiled it down last week at the very end of the message that at the end of the day, these false teachers are in it for their own selfish gain. That's why they deceive people. That's why they destroy the gospel witness. The scary part last week was what? They're in the church. They're doing it among the people of God. They are preying on God's children. Remember we said last week that one of Satan's primary spheres that he works in is within the church. So we get this understanding that he's trying to comfort God's people with this passage this morning. He's not trying to break them down. If you feel that this morning, you're not understanding the context. He's trying to encourage God's people. You see, comfort in the Bible, while we were singing what we were singing this morning. So he does this. He comforts and he strengthens. And he's trying to encourage God's people by reminding them of God's justice. We need to be reminded of that this morning. You see, justice equals rightness. It's righteousness. Speaking of God's justice, the Easton Bible Dictionary says this, Justice is not an optional product of His will, but an unchangeable principle of His very nature. 2 Peter 3.17 sort of summarizes what Peter's trying to teach. When it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, everything that I've told you, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You see, that's why he's saying what he's saying. He said, how can you stand firm and not lose your stability? You need to be reminded of God's justice. So we see first at the end of verse 3 that God promises his justice in the future. Speaking of the false teachers, he says at the end of verse 3, their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Now this begs the question, and we've all asked it, and we've all heard it. Where's God? Where's God in the hurricane? Where's God when the person I love dies? Where, where is God when, a, when a, a child is hurt? Where's God? In context this morning, this is what he was speaking to in the context of the local church as these false teachers were preying on God's people, as they were Twisting God's scripture, using Christ's own name to pervert the gospel. The, the question is, where is God? Is he, is he just standing silent as these people hurt God's church? Jeremiah 9, 23 helps us understand as Peter's saying that God is not standing silent. 
Jeremiah 9, 23 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Listen. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness where? In the earth. See that? That's where he practices it. It's not standing idle. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So God has proven his justice in history in the past. And so we can trust it for now and for the future. It's what he wants. It's what I want you to see this morning. I want you to see by even in verse 3, God's justice is active. Look at what it says. They're already condemned. Saying these false teachers that are actively Persecuting you and frustrating you. They're already condemned. What does condemned mean? It literally means a legal decision of guilty in a criminal case. In other words, God's already declared them guilty. From long ago. Jude 4. Flip over there. Parallel passage here says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They were designated. This legal decision of guilty. You see, rebellion against truth is a rebellion against God's righteous authority. This is the way, what are, what are they saying? This is the way it's always been. This is nothing new. It began in the garden with the serpent and God's pronouncing of his condemnation. <clears throat> Bled into Adam and his sin, imputing his sin into mankind. God consistently condemns all who misrepresent his truth. Turn with me to John 3. It's not in your notes. I added it late last night. I wanted you to see it though. John 3, 18. We all know John 3, 16. This is part of it. Same thought. John 3, verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see it. He is condemned already. That is perfect tense, passive voice. It means, perfect tense means it happened in the past. The condemnation happened in the past and it's producing the state of being in the present and it's being done to him. It's not done by him. God has condemned them. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. This is clear in Revelation 21. Simply tells us where the condemnation is, ends up. Where are they condemned to in the future? It's a place called the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This judgment is active. This judgment is imminent. It is not idle. Their destruction, what it's saying... Their destruction is not asleep. In other words, God's judgment is not nodding off this morning. See people doing that every once in a while when I'm preaching. Nod off. God doesn't do that. He never nods off. His judgment. Here's the picture. John MacArthur. The picture here is of eternal damnation as if it were an executioner who remains fully awake ready to administer God's sentence of condemnation on those who falsify His Word. Do you see that? 
not asleep. Grim Reaper doesn't belong to the devil, nor does hell. Delayed justice is still justice. In fact, it's a pretty good parenting tip. Delayed justice is just still justice. Peter makes his argument that God's that we can trust God's future justice because look at what he's look at what he's doing now. In verses four to eight, he, he gives you these conditional phrases. If this example, if he's done this in the past, if he's done this in the past, if he's done this in the past, then we can conclude this is going to happen. And so, remember, God's already proven his justice. And he's proven it in the past. He gives three historical examples of God's past justice. At verse 4, we see the first example is fallen angels. God's justice always delivers. I want you to see both sides as, as best as we can. We've tried to plan both the music and the sermon around you seeing both sides of God's justice. God's justice both delivers and God's justice preserves. It's active. It does both. But what does it deliver? Look at verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Look, notice this. Now there's words you need to notice, and there's some things that there's, it depends on how your personality is. You're going to have to struggle to not get hung up on angels and miss the point this morning. Please don't. Write it down. Here's what I do. I did it last night. Something like that gets your curiosity. Get your pen. Write it down on your notes. Study it later. Let's move on. Okay, so let's stay with us. We'll miss the point this morning because it's very interesting. He did not spare the angels. The point, he delivered all of them to absolute justice. When, when did this happen? Was this the fall when the angels rebelled with Lucifer? Most people think it's not because the angels that fell with Lucifer are not cast into hell and they're not committed to chains of gloomy darkness yet. At Jude 6 and 7, it gives us a little bit more insight into this historical event. Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not stay with their own positions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Look at verse 7. Just as, it's important, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires. Serve an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So just as. And so what does this help us understand? Most people think this is talking about Genesis 6 verses 1 to 4. Where certain angels somehow, and I don't know how, crossed over species lines and had sexual relations with women. Why it's just like what happened at Sodom. Because it was a perversion of God's natural order. Their actions involved both rebellion and involved lust. The same problems we're seeing within the false teachers. So here, hang with me. We can talk about that later if you want to. But don't miss the point. He cast them into hell. What happened to them? This, this word hell, hell is, is the word Tartarus. What he's speaking, because remember, he's speaking to a mostly Greek audience. He's giving them a point of reference in their minds so they'll know what he's talking about. This is a place to help them understand that the destination 
of these angels is bleak. That's where they are. Because they disobeyed and rebelled against God. He committed them. He handed them over. And they are kept there until the judgment. Picture of God's justice. God's justice delivered these angels to absolute justice. And they're there now. God's justice always preserves. So we have to infer it here, though it gets very clear in the rest of the passage that those that stayed within their own position of authority, God preserved. Those that didn't, He judged them. God's justice is able to perfectly distinguish between that which is godly and that which is ungodly. It's a very character. So we don't miss the point. If God would not spare these great and mighty angels. What are you saying? If. If we know that this happened in the past. Then he goes on to the second example. Noah and the flood. He says, if. So put, look at verse 5. 2 Peter 2, verse 5. You've got to put the first and the end of verse 5 together to get the, to get the whole feel of this text. God did not spare the ancient world when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Two times there he makes clear that he judged the mighty angels. Yes, he did. Absolutely, he judged them. And look what he did at the flood. He destroyed the whole world. This is a universal flood. He did not spare the whole ancient world. says it twice. The two realities. Judgment is a reality. And there was not a chance once God passed judgment on these people in Noah that they were not judged. God destroyed them. Genesis 6 verses 5 and 8 helps us see that. Genesis 6 verses 5 to 8. Notice that Genesis 6 1 to 4 talks about the fallen angels. Immediately following this is verse 5. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention and thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man, from, from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. You see, God always delivers his just judgment. And God always preserves his righteous people. We see that. But Noah. So God preserved. Look at the word preserved. God preserved Noah. Back to 2 Peter 2 verse 5. He preserved him. Look, in the middle of the judgment, we get this beautiful picture of preservation. But preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world. The word preserved means to be kept. Look at what he called him. It not only says three details, interesting details it gives us here. It says he preserved him, he kept him. We're going to see that in Lot's situation too in just a minute. But he also called him heralded righteousness, not because he was perfect. This is, not what it's, this is not an example of, of justification. This is an example of service to God. 
He obeyed him. In other words, he stood in stark contrast to the rest of the watching generation around him. Why? Because God told him to do something, he obeyed him. And as he was doing it, what was he doing? He was calling others to repentance. And they did not listen. See, not only Noah being spared, but those around him being spared. You go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham in talking to the Lord there and here see that same situation. God gives mercy not only to Noah, but his family. The reality, brothers and sisters, is the godly are often in the minority. It's true. What he's trying to encourage God's people to understand that it's, that it's frustrating when you see false teachers filling up stadiums and riding their jets to Cancun and thinking they're serving God and everybody following them. It's frustrating. He's saying, God is always faithful to preserve His faithful. Even when they are a minority. Remember, false teaching does not launch a frontal assault. They peck at you. They peck at you while you're at school. Whether you're in junior high, middle school, high school, or college. It is a constant worldview that constantly works on you day in and day out. And he says, you need to be reminded God's judgment of them is not idle. As in the days where the angels sinned and they were, ju were judged. As in Noah, they were judged. And so in Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 6, God's justice always delivers. If by turning the cities to Sodom, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes. He condemned them to extinction. Another if. He turned the cities literally to ashes. Same word condemned. Guilty verdict. He pronounced a guilty verdict. And they were destroyed. He makes this very clear here. More clear than anywhere else at the end of verse 6. That he making them an example. God exercised this judgment in part. To warn all who follow the way of ungodly. That this is God's character. And God will act in justice. Their non-existence is proof that God is just. In other words, you can't find them. They never found Sodom and Gomorrah. The present needs to heed this. And listen to me. I see some things that so-called Christians write on the internet. Be careful what you post on Facebook and stuff about judgment. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and we must never either. This is sobering. This is encouraging for God's people. Look, look at this quote there. There are curious parallels between our contemporary scene and Sodom. For that city was as famed for its affluence and softness as for its immorality. And of course, like any men come of age, they thought they had outgrown the idea of God. That's not where we are. Jude 7 makes this very clear that this is a progressive picture of judgment that begins with water and ends in fire. Peter's going to get there at the end of his letter. 
God's justice always delivers this two-sided example of both sobering justice and rescue. We see that in verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. And I know that we look at Lot because we, we have the very clear and honest God's word that tells us about people's life. And we say, how can he be righteous? God calls him righteous three times in his text. Lot isn't called righteous because he's completely upright. Before we know he's not. He is a contrast of the men of Sodom. He stands in contrast to them because he obeyed God's instructions. And look at the effect of the unrighteous culture it was having on Lot. You can't see that in other parts of the text. Peter gives us this. He describes him as greatly distressed. It tormented his soul. What does this culture do to your soul today? The biggest danger many of us as believers face is not being martyred for our faith, but having our faith dulled by the constant exposure to wickedness. Warning them. Saying, term. Buy into this immorality is freedom to experience God's grace. It's a lie. He says, if, 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 then. This is the point. All of that was heavy. And it's supposed to be heavy. knows how to dispense his justice. Both in his condemnation of the ungodly and his preservation and rescue of the righteous. Then he knows how to dispense his justice today. We can trust him. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God has a proven track record in, in, in knowing how to rescue his people. See in verse 5 the word preserved. We see in verse 7 and now, and now 9 the word rescue. The trials here is, is important to the context. Because different words can be used in different ways in different contexts in scripture. Trials here re is referring to the external circumstances that the false teachers are placing on God's people. These are the trials that God's going to rescue them from. They're happening. The word here from, do you see that? From trials? Doesn't mean out of. It's better interpreted away from. Away from. Because here's the reality. Matthew 10, verse 17. He writes this to people who already are going through the trials. And in Matthew 10, verse 17, he says this, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Look down at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What he's saying this morning. You need to hear that. He's not saying he's going to take you around the trials. He said he's going to guarantee it. That he's going to rescue you away from them. In other words, you will endure. You will endure. Listen, following Christ is going to bring physical harm. 
Why? It has in the past. It is in the present. It's going to cost you something to follow Christ. Following Christ causes you emotional stress. Economic hardships comes from sometimes from following Christ. Even physical deaths of our brothers and sisters, someone for the sake of the name is being killed right now. Sovereign and wise God tells us this morning, He will give us a way out. What does that mean? So that on the other side of that trial, we will emerge in a better spiritual state than we were when it began. That's how God and His Christ and His work and His resurrection defeats it. He defeats it. Why? Because you kill me, you give me what I want. You trial me, and I will come out loving and trusting my Savior more than when it began. Not because of me, not because of you and your thing, but because of the Christ that's in us. In other words, you got to get this this morning. That what He's guaranteeing them, the most thing that should scare them the most, is this danger of apostasy that's before them. These teachers have willingly turned from the truth. He says, they are condemned. They are as condemned as the angels. They are as condemned as the world in Noah's day. They're as condemned as Sodom and Gomorrah. But I will bring you through it. You will not be condemned. Promise. Revelation 3, verse 10. Revelation 3, verse 10. He wants to know God is faithful. Promises to protect them. His children, when they face these temptations, because... Revelation 3, verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of of trial that is coming on the whole world to those who dwell on the earth. Who Christ in you, thy trials will make you more like Christ than before it started. Good news this morning. It's what God promises to his people. He's not promising you're not going to suffer. He's promising you that he's got the power to keep his children from committing the sin of apostasy. It's good news this morning. Will not forsake you. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That what we see in Lot and Noah are not these people who, who clean themselves up and somehow deserve salvation. Is it? We don't see that at all. We see these men as a as, as an example of someone who simply acted in faith. But Philippians 3, 7. Philippians 3, 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. God in His justice knows how to rescue His own. Listen to me this morning. There is no escape from the love of God. Amen. If that is true, listen brothers and sisters, there is no escape from the wrath of God. Save Christ alone. God's justice always knows how to rescue his own, and God's justice always preserves the godless for torment. That's what he says in verse 9. God knows how. 
He knows how, so he tells his suffering people who are being tormented by these false teachers, God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Same word means keep them. They're not out of God's control. God knows how to keep them. This, this reflects both a now and a then torment that's coming. Both a now and a then judgment. Sin destroys in the physical. It just, sin destroys your mind. It destroys your emotions. It destroys your life. And that's the best it gives you. Verse 10, it describes these ungodly who are attacking God's people. As those who indulge the flesh with deviling passions and despise authority. They despise the righteous lordship of God. So where is God? Where is God? He is, he is on His throne of His own righteous judgment. Preserving His people. And absolutely promising to destroy those who rebel against Him. That's where He is, brothers and sisters. And He's never moved because it seems like the godless prosper for a season. God knows how to dispense His justice and we must trust Him. So how do we fight for faith in a godless culture when this is happening? Turn with me to 1 Timothy 1.15. Listen to me all, to the, all the way to the end this morning. We're almost done. I want you to hear this this morning. I don't want you to twist what I'm, what I'm saying. But you twist God's Word. He wants us to remember this morning as God's people that He graciously gives people plenty of time to repent before their judgment. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Brothers and sisters, you stand as an example of God's mercy today. God is patient, and He has not returned, because when He does, His justice comes with Him. Patient, and He is long-suffering, and look at you. What I want you to see today, I want us to see as we hit the so what, I want you to see maybe for the first time what you have been saved from. And may it propel us to love and to mission for those who have not believed. So what? Is God's justice provided presently? Presently providing you comfort? Providing you strength, hope, encouragement? Turn with me to Revelation 14. I don't know if some of you may have never even read this before. Brothers and sisters, this is God's Word. I want to ask you when you read this passage. I'm not saying that this text isn't heavy. God's Word is supposed to be heavy. God's Word. But does it give you strength and encouragement and comfort? Listen to it. I know that some of you might be saying, in Revelation, doesn't it have a lot of symbolism and apocalyptic literature in it? Yes. But you see, that which is symbolized always symbolizes something that is greater in reality. In other words, heaven as a symbol, the picture we get, is greater. 
Hail, the picture we get of hail, it's worse. Listen to God's word. Revelation 14, verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Brothers and sisters, 1 John lays out for us very clearly that the spirit of the Antichrist is those who deny the person and the work of Christ is their destination brothers and sisters it's supposed to be heavy don't you dare say that hell is a place where God is not look at the text he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb I want us as Christians for a second to realize what we have been saved from the wrath of God you have been saved from this this is the point So stand firm. Write this down. Everyone who dies in Christ goes to be with Christ. That's what John 10, 28 says. You're in my Father's hand. You're in my hand. And can't anyone take you out of it. So stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. God knows how to dispense His justice. He has called us to have the message of reconciliation while there is time for people to repent. Let us draw comfort from John 14 when he says, I am going to prepare you a place right beside of me. I will come and I will take you home with me. Let us draw strength from that, brothers and sisters. God never loses any of his own. And God's justice never fails. So Lord, you're good. Lord, I've been amazed by your mercy in my own life. I deserve to be one of those people I have to drink your wrath for my rebellion, but you have saved me. You delivered me. You rescued me. You, you changed my nature. You filled me with 
the Holy Spirit. You promised me you will never have lost any of your righteous ones. Not one. The Lord, may we now as your people stand to our feet and worship the God who has saved us. And if there be anyone in here who has not repented of their sins, Lord, would you save them right now? Lord, so I pray, Thessalonians, that you are faithful. That God, that you would establish your people and guard them against the evil one to the day of your appearing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.